Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. In today's topic, what we are going to cover is should you build referral relationships with financial advisors who you wouldn't refer to? Mm -hmm. I'll take this one. Uh, The answer is no. This is great. Thank you so much for listening to the Financial Coaches Network podcast. We'll be on next week. Take care. Um, Just kidding, Josh. Okay. So maybe that's a a partially biased point of view for myself. Um, I I think we're probably not going to there's going to be some controversial things that we'll talk about. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's, I think we should start with why is this even a question? Right. I I think that's the important thing. And yeah, I'll let you kind of talk to your experience and your experience talking with lots of other financial coaches. Mm -hmm. But if I were to throw a pretty damn accurate dart at a dartboard, I am pretty sure it would hit on the, the feeling that why would I want to limit my business, right? Even though I wouldn't refer to them, that doesn't mean I can't help their clients and, and send their clients to me. And so part of this is a, you know, viewing it as a one-way street type thing. And, and that's not to say that you should be fair to other people, blah, 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 but just that concept of viewing it as a one-way street. And part of it is a sort of limiting beliefs right? The, the scarcity mentality of if I have this opportunity and don't take it, then that's going to have a significant impact on my business. And I will be perfectly upfront. Everyone has a scarcity mentality. Everyone talks about the importance of an abundance mentality. It is a hell of a lot easier to have an abundance mentality when your business is strong and growing than it is when it is um, not by my clients that, that I do business coaching with, they all have a scarcity mentality until they hit. And that, and that's true until they hit you know, around two or $300,000 in take-home pay. And then their scarcity mentality very easily and comfortably starts to transition, still takes a little bit of work, but it's a lot easier to an abundance mentality. So totally not discounting that scarcity mentality and the fact that it is a real thing early on in the business. For sure. And I'm sure there are a couple of people who will be like, I don't have it. I'm like, great for you, 1%. But for 99% or 98% of the rest of the people, uh, or they may just be in denial. But it's a large- I was going to say that. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I've been on here long enough with you, Josh. I know. (laughs) Uh, Good point. But yeah. So- I think there is a legit, very legitimate question to ask there because that that does exist. And even though we kind of talk about, oh, don't have a scarcity mentality, that's kind of that's kind of easy to say, kind of like, well, you don't need to worry about personal security from a person that is sitting behind a 10-foot 
gated house inside of a gated community with an armed guard out front and has their own personal security entourage, right? It's easy to say in certain circumstances. <laughs> and, you know, the reality is very different for a lot of people, especially early on in the entrepreneurship cycle. For sure. So they should do it, is what I'm hearing. Still shouldn't do it. <laughs> so, and let's talk about why. Let's talk about why. Just say, tell me more, tell me more. Number one, you know, if you have someone that you would not refer clients to, my guess is that you have strong beliefs about why that is. Generally speaking, that would, there are certain types of financial professionals, especially ones at certain types of companies that I would not refer clients to. Uh, most of the MLM companies, all of the MLM, MLM companies, I generally would not refer clients to advisors at those companies. And it's not because there can't be good advisors at those companies. It's that the structure of the MLM means that it's always a gamble. There are good advisors at those companies. I'm not going to say that there aren't. But number one, the structure of the MLM means there's going to be a lot of, of any MLM. There's going to be a lot of people that are not qualified and, not, and don't understand it very much. And there's going to be a lot of pressure for the client to turn into an advisor <laughs> and sell to other people. At least there's a very high potential for that. And so that would be an example of an advisor that I would never refer clients to. And I have very strong reasons for that. And my guess is that there's some people that might be listening to this that don't like the reasons that I just gave. And if I have a referral relationship with someone and I never refer them a client and those are the reasons and they're not going to like it, why would I spend time building that referral relationship knowing that it has an, a big expiration date? Yeah. It's a lot of energy to try and put in, to also try and hide kind of what mm -hmm. you're feeling and not yeah. telling the other person. And in my experience, people are more perceptive than we give them credit for. We think we're hoodwinking them just like, no, I'll take liquor out of a parent's liquor cabinet and put water in it. And they'll, be, and then 20 years later, they'll be like, we knew you were doing that. You dummy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I generally think that people are more perceptive and we aren't as like, um, able to put up a good mask as we think. Yeah. And also then it's just kind of a shell game. Isn't the right term, but it's a lot of, it takes a lot of energy to try and fake it. And for every referral relationships, it's not just energy to fake it. Referral relationships take energy to maintain. You're not going to maintain a referral relationship. If you're not sending them, thank you notes. If you're not emailing them every once in a while saying, Hey, Happy Fourth of July. If you're not saying, "Hey, let's grab coffee and talk for a, for a while about what's going on," right? Not to get clients, just to build the relationship. And all of that time could be better spent working with referral relationships that don't have expiration dates. So it's, it's yeah, absolutely. It's mental energy to hide it. It's also mental energy just to build good referral relationships and time that could be better spent elsewhere in your business. So to me, the MLM is pretty obvious. Stay yeah. away from the MLMs. Now, there are some companies that have financial planners who are CFPs. They may not be legally obligated. Like they aren't RIAs. Right. right. 
right? So it's a more the professional designation that says you should operate in this way versus being yeah. legally obligated to. Right. And if you're done, if you're not a fiduciary, you're going to have to change your business cards. Unfortunately, that's the most the CFP board can do because they can just take away the CFP marks. But, you know, at least they do have to pay to get a new 50 set of 50 business cards. So, uh, <laughs> and so what, what about planners who, cause I'm trying to think through some different scenarios. So there's a financial planner who works at maybe a larger type of bank or brokerage. They're a CFP. You feel relatively good about them, or at least from what you can tell initially, but they aren't necessarily set up as a fee only financial advisor. Because here's where I think what you are speaking to where you know the financial advisor could be good, but the environment, it's like, it's not inherently bad, but there are more conflicts of interest than necessarily just a fee-only fiduciary advisor. Uh, what are some of your thoughts or advice kind of in that realm? So the, the first thing about that is, you know, make sure that you understand the industry sufficiently to be able to make those determinations. We'll talk about financial advisors, but the reality is it's not just financial advisors, right? Um, CPAs and EAs, uh, insurance representatives, oftentimes calling themselves financial advisors, but just in case we, we know there's, there's going to be attorneys, right? Lots of different things. And it's really important that you that you understand the industry sufficiently enough so that you can make that differentiation. The, so let's kind of look at a few different things. So for example, um, I won't build referral relationships with people at Wells Fargo, mainly because now this isn't Wells Fargo, big, big banks are bad, blah, blah, blah. It's because Wells Fargo is not uh, a company that I think has the ethics that is required for me to build referral relationships with. You don't say, right? Um, you know, and companies make mistakes, new turnover, blah, blah, blah. The problem is the new people they brought in, the new CEO they brought in downplayed the seriousness of it, which just in my mind continued the problem. Bank of America, I, um, I don't really spend time building referral relationships with. And it's not because I think Bank of America is bad. It's because for my business, Bank of America has Merrill Lynch and Merrill Edge, which means that it's highly, highly unlikely that they're going to send me a referral because <laughs> they've got their own internal referral that they're compensated for, right? right. So you also want to think about you know, how, if I'm going to spend energy on this and building this referral relationship. How likely is it that they would actually send someone to me? Um, even for a financial coach, right? A, a lot of financial coaches think, oh, well, credit unions might be a good thing to build a referral relationship with. A lot of credit unions have uh, financial wellness, financial literacy things. They'll have you know, their monthly, here's how to buy a house workshop that they put together for people, um, in which case... There's not a high likelihood that that credit union that has a really robust financial literacy program would then turn around and send it out to a financial coach, um, especially since a lot of them, their member services department has budgeting workshops and things like that as well. One of my local credit unions just started offering financial coaching. So mm -hmm. it's trickling down there as well. Yeah. So you, you really want to look at their overall business. And make sure that that specific company 
um, if there's a, if there's the more overlap there is between what you do and the random stuff that they provide, even if that random stuff is not like full on financial coaching, they just they have financial literacy workshops. They're far more likely to refer someone to the financial to their own financial liter- literacy workshops than to you. In which case, that may be a lot of wasted energy. Um, I would stay away from organizations that have a lot of churn, a lot of turnover within their employees. Uh, Northwestern Mutual uh, is an example. It's not an MLM, but they have a lot of the same potential issues where they have what's called a burn and churn uh, uh, model, where they hire a bunch of people, they have them burn through their personal relationships, and then most of them churn out of the industry. So if you see a lot of turnover uh, at the company, um, that would be another organization that I would shy away from. And that can be something if you don't have a long term relationship with anyone in that particular uh, company, you know, ask in the financial coaches community, ask other coaches who, you know, other people in financial services and get a sense of, Hey, just what is the reputation of this company? Like, absolutely. The, another thing is looking at what their, we'll call it, um, French fries are Hmm. right. You go, you go to in and out for the burger, but you know, they ask you, do you want fries with that? Right. So an example in my industry uh, with me is uh, CPAs, right? I tend not to build referral relationships with CPAs that have, that offer investment management and other things, partly because of the obvious reason it's competition, (laughs) Right. Uh, but partly because the vast, vast majority of CPAs, they are there that offer investment management, offer investment management in a manner that I don't believe is right. Uh, they offer it as broker dealers. It tends to be very high cost investment products, and it tends to be a lot of active management. Right. And the reason why is because they're CPAs, they're not. CFPs. And so when they sort of have this, that's why I call them the fries, right? It's not their, it's not the thing they focus on. It's this thing they do on the side and it's kind of an afterthought. And so it's generally not going to be as good as someone that focuses. Good point. So both from the competitive standpoint and also from the protection of the client, of the client actually getting a good solid serve. I will throw one other thing while you're thinking. Go ahead. And that, and that is. Another reason why you don't want to refer to people or build referral relationships with professionals that you would not refer out to is because what happens in the best case scenario of the person refers to you, a client, that client comes to you, works with you for a while, they are now ready to hire a CPA uh, or hire a tax person who's not a CPA or an EA. So they're just some random person doing taxes or uh, go in, in and invest or whatever it happens to be. And now that person, okay, I'm ready to invest. You know, what are you going to do at that point? Now you're in this pickle. The person gave you a client <laughs> and you either have to choose to screw over the person that gave you the client by telling them, yeah, actually that person's a terrible person, which 
may get back to them since they had the relationship originally and may still have the conversation with them or screw over your client that you've built a relationship with sending them back to a person that you wouldn't send them to otherwise. And the temptation is strong. I know, like you said, early on in the business, and I remember this, so just having conversations with financial advisors and financial planners and just getting to know them and trying to share what it is that I do and believing Mm -hmm. that, yeah, their clients need the help that I do or that people coming to them need the help that I do, even if they aren't the right fit for those financial advisors. And yeah, I do remember like just that feeling of coming out of a conversation and be like, well, they probably could send me people, but this just, you know, is, and, and what you're talking about right there is a really, really good point. Cause like, great. You got a client, they, they outgrow you or they, they ultimately need something like investment management. And then you're in a pickle. You put it very well. Yeah. And it's really important to think about what happens then. Yeah. And they don't have to outgrow you to be in that pickle. That's right. They, They could still be working with you and need investment management advice or be working with you and need their taxes done or be working with you and need insurance, right? I mean, the the reality is they're going to need other professionals long before they leave you. And you're going to get in that pickle a lot faster than you think. (laughs) That's a great point. Okay. So is finding someone who is a fee-only fiduciary kind of the safest bet for a financial advisor or planning route? Should they only, should people only go talk to fee-only fiduciary financial planners? What do, you, what do you think? So let's start with that question kind of um, assumes a, a first question, which is what is, the, what is the needs of the client, right? Uh, if the needs for the client, if the client, you're, they're working with you and you realize, wow, they need to really, they don't really have any life insurance, right? Uh, so they're going to need to get some life insurance. They don't really have any um, they don't really have good property and liability insurance, right? So you're identifying, wow, there's some insurance things. Yeah. Well, then you're going to need to send them to an insurance agent, period, end of story. This is not, yes, commissions really aren't good in the advice world, but this is not life insurance agents bad, fee-only fiduciaries good. This is what is the actual need that they have? And if it's life insurance, then that's where they want to go. Um, personally, I would not send someone to a company that has a uh, term only, term life insurance only philosophy hmm. uh, for two reasons. Number one, that so that that would be an example of one that I wouldn't feel comfortable sending people to. Uh, the first reason is that there's a lot of them that are using buy term and invest the difference as a way of getting people into high cost investment products. So the term life insurance is a loss leader for them. Interesting. To get them in and then switch them over to really high cost investment products. So that's one reason why I'd be very careful of that group. But the, but the bigger reason is that the idea that term insurance is the only good insurance, that there's no such thing as good whole life insurance or a good reason to have whole life insurance is absolutely flat wrong. Now, for a lot of people's typical insurance needs, term insurance is the correct thing because the needs are temporary, <laughs> right? 
I want to protect my kids if they if I die. When my kids are 33, I don't need to do that for them, protect them financially if I if myself and my wife dies. So therefore, that is a temporary need. But not all life insurance needs are temporary. And you can cause all sorts of damage to a person, both in the short term and especially in the long term, by getting them into a term life insurance policy when their needs were permanent. So that's a big thing is people who believe that term life insurance is the only good insurance, they're going to uh, harm clients just as much as someone who believes that whole life insurance is a solution to everything or universal life insurance is a solution to everything, right? So, that, that, so there's that world, right? Within financial advice, personally, yeah, I believe that fee-only fiduciary, and it's very important that we define that, right? Fiduciary means that they are a registered investment advisor. That's what gives the legal fiduciary obligation. All other quote-unquote fiduciary advisors don't have a legal obligation. And so registered investment advisor. Um, and in fact, a registered investment advisor that is only registered licensed as a registered investment advisor. So no other licenses because there are what are called dual registered advisors where they have both, um, both types of licenses, which means the advisor gets to choose whether they're a fiduciary or not, and they don't have to inform the client when they're making the switch. So this could be a financial advisor who is both also a registered investment advisor and also sells insurance. Yeah. And then the fee-only side is the, uh, where they're, they don't accept commissions. Now, there's a lot of confusion, including in our Facebook community, about this definition. People who uh, advise on an assets under management with an asset under management fee, an AUM fee, they can still be fee-only. Fee-only does not mean an hourly rate, right? And it's really important because you know, I used to not have an AUM fee and I, I have modified my fee structure a lot, mainly because clients wanted to pay in certain ways. And those ways, there wasn't really a good reason from a conflict of interest standpoint for me. It was just me on my high horse saying, Mr. or Mrs. Client, I know better than you, so I'm not going to allow you to do anything, right? And there's a real advantage to the AUM model, which is is it is a lot more tax efficient. Hmm. Um, And so the more money we're talking about, the more tax efficiency matters, right? Um, So fee only means that the person doesn't accept commissions, right? Or have any other money that is paid from anyone else other than the client. Now, this is, again, not to say people who accept commissions are bad people. Because we started off with, if they have an insurance need, they're going to need to get that insurance from a life insurance agent. And that life insurance agent should be someone who is, um, who is really, really knowledgeable about life insurance. It's not their fries on the side, right? Um, but there's a difference between you have this need for this product, this expert can help you buy it, and they're going to get a commission for it and getting advice. And so the reality is, as a financial coach, ideally, you should have referral relationships with good life insurance agents and referral relationships with good financial advisors and good referral relationships with 
CPAs, right? All the different areas that your clients are going to need over time. And so it's, well, yes, fee-only fiduciary is where, in my opinion, the advisor should be, right? That doesn't mean that there isn't a role for life insurance agents, as an example, because you want someone who has expertise. You want someone that's really knowledgeable and you want someone who, uh, when the advisor and you have identified they have this life insurance need or this whatever need, that there's a good person that you can send them to for their expertise on exactly what that should look like. And same rules apply if you get that uh, feeling or mm-hmm. if they're, you know, so I think this is a good clarification because, yeah, I don't know any insurance agents who are, who like you would compensate directly. So there's not really a non commission based. Uh, unless you know, insurance is impossible to do on a non-commission basis. All insurance is done commission. Yeah, totally. So with the financial advisor or planner, there are kind of two hoops to go through kind of the, um, would you both from like a professional standpoint and the, the, the feeling that you get when you're around that person, as yeah. well as, Hey, make sure that the, or we would recommend that the fiduciary and, or be only boxes that you consider those being mm-hmm. checked. Um, but then for others like CPAs or uh, insurance agents, right, insurance agents are all on commission. So it, that is just going to be a given. So it's almost even, I don't know if it's, a, if I can say it's even more important, but it is still very, very important because they are on commission that you yeah. understand. And, and with, with all of them, technical expertise is important. And so we just want to make sure that we're creating a positive. Anything else? No, we're at time, which is awesome. (laughs) We did it. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And we'll be on next week with another episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. So you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, It also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.